Hello and welcome to the Slow Taken Podcast. In this episode of the podcast, I shall be expanding on why I am fervent supporter of free speech, including the right to offend. So to start off, I want you to imagine a shelf. But this shelf is not one of fruits or groceries. This is one of thoughts or ideas, a place where various different thoughts and ideas are available for individuals to pick and hold different ideological positions. Now, if you were to pick a fruit from an actual shelf, I can wager the fact that you would closely inspect the quality of that fruit with scrutiny because you would try to ensure that the quality of fruit is the very best on the shelf. Now, following that very same analogy, you would also like to have the right to criticize, scrutinize or mock any thought or idea on the shelf. This is an utmost necessity to ensure that societal progress takes place. However, we do notice a trend that certain individuals who tend to hold those ideas often do not allow criticism of those ideas through censorship because they consider those criticisms to be offensive. This sort of censorship primarily comes from, in my opinion, from supporters of fascism or the extreme political right or mainly from groups of people of faith. Now, it must be said that most of the world's major faiths, whether Abrahamic or Eastern, are at their very nature authoritarian. Therefore, they are very highly intolerant of opinions contrary to that of their own and we have seen them executing individuals who express profanity throughout centuries. Now, if you are living in the West with a secular constitution or as I would say a godless constitution which guarantees freedom of thought and speech such as the First Amendment of the US Constitution, it is very highly unlikely that you probably would have seen such an execution in action. But just about 350 years ago, if you lived back in Scotland in the year of 1697, you would have experienced the execution of Thomas Aikenhead by hanging on 8th January, which unfortunately is my birthday, on the charges of blasphemy. He was the last person to be executed on the charges of blasphemy in the island of Great Britain. Now, times have very much changed indeed and criminalization of blasphemy seems like a ludicrous idea and especially an impediment on personal liberty by the British government. Now, you might be asking what was the reason why such changes in the West took place which resulted them in repelling such laws. This is primarily because religion in the West got tamed by the values of the Enlightenment. It got chained under the influence of the pen of radical thinkers like Voltaire, Spinoza and David Hume. These thinkers took upon them the burden to write against what they thought was an attack on personal liberty by repressive religious societies. These ideas, despite facing censorship, were smuggled into the masses and as people got exposed to these ideas, they decided that the ideas which they previously held, such as punishment for blasphemy and apostasy, were pernicious. Right. So you do realize what happened here. Certain ideas, which were once thought to be too dangerous for the society, slowly became the norm. And for the better in this case. Why did that happen? Because in the marketplace of ideas, given that we allow ideas to be open to criticism, the best ideas are always picked first. But for this to happen properly, there can be no censorship in the first place to begin with. But how do you even tell people that you disagree with their fundamental belief systems without being offensive? I think to be fair, there is no definite answer to this. There is also no objective answer to what is defined as offensive. If I were to stand in the heart of Bengal about 200 years ago and say that I think the caste system 
and the abhorrent process of sati, if you were into history, you would probably be knowing this, should be abolished. I would have deemed offensive enough to be treated as an outcast if I were to go to the heart of the University of Oxford about 500 years ago and publicly profess my atheism. I would have been deemed offensive, right? Then again, if I were to go to the heart of the Holy See, even about 200 years ago, I and said that the earth revolves around the sun, I would have been deemed offensive. Today, if I am to go to the heart of the Arabian Peninsula and say that all complex life on this planet has evolved from simpler organisms, I would be considered offensive, enough to be beheaded. If I am to stand today in the historic Suravarti Uddan and say that I think people should be allowed to leave their religion without any consequences or say that LGBTQ people should have their set of rights, 82% of this country's people would find it offensive. By the way, the 82% statistic is taken from the Pew Research Center, by the way. So just in case you wanted to know. If I am to criticize the apartheid Israeli government, the Zionists would find me offensive. But that does not mean that I should not criticize the Israeli government for its atrocities committed on the Palestinian people. Now, I haven't really written anything on my blog about the Israel-Palestine issue. And I haven't really made a podcast about this because my understanding of politics and solving this issue might be a bit uninformed. But let me just flesh out what I think could be done. So, yeah, I think I find the idea of the formation of a Jewish state in 1947, according to the Jewish ethnostate, to be a very ridiculous one. Let's face it. So if I were back then, I probably would have wanted the formation of a Jewish state. I probably would have wanted a secular democracy for the entire region. Palestinians and Jews live together happily. So I think that probably was what I would have wanted. Now, given that did not happen and the Jewish state was established and then the issue escalated and now we are here, I don't think that there is any other solution than the two-state solution in which the UN safeguards the Palestinian people. Even though in this case, the UN is pretty useless because every time the UN tries to solve the problem, the US comes up and vetoes the issue. I think they vetoed the two-state solution back in 1976. They vetoed the two-state solution in 1980. By the way, the fact that the... I'm not sure about the fact if the US vetoed the two-state solution in 1976 and 1980. I would prefer if you could possibly look it up. I'm just trying to regurgitate what my memory here so i might be a bit um, wrong with that or incorrect with that information so i think that would be pretty much that would pretty much solve the problem and do and divide the land according to the 1947 un partition plan even though there are israeli settlers on the west bank but i think they would need to go back to israel the actual borders of israel according to the 1947 partition plan so yeah that's pretty much it. Now, even though the two-state solution would give rise to an ethnostate and a theocracy, but I think that the trade-off is far greater than the violence, right? So, given that you don't have the two-state solution, in my opinion, the situation would be far worse for the Palestinian people. So, that's why I support it. But I think I don't support the one-state solution because I think that in the one-state solution, the Palestinian people would have to face a lot of persecution. So in which case, Palestinian people have to go through a lot of persecution and I think it would be far worse than what we saw in apartheid South Africa. So that's why I personally don't 
prefer the one state solution but yeah that's pretty much my take on it but yes there there has to be international acknowledgement about the atrocities the israeli government committed on the palestinian people and to be fair if anyone tells me that the palestinian people should have chosen the two state solution in the first place to begin with back in 1947 i think that i personally wouldn't have liked if a bunch of colonial settlers came into my land and asked me to get the hell out of my land where my ancestors have been living for centuries and just to create settlements for their own kind for their own race i mean that's a pretty atrocious idea and if jews born in brooklyn have a right to jewish state in that region i think palestinians born in jerusalem have a far greater right to a, the palestinian state in that region and i think that sums up my stance on this now moving right along in our today's discussion so i think therefore i have been as i was saying that given that people deem a lot of good things or that people deem a lot of things offensive i think that i have been able to establish a problem here that being that there is no coherent definition in terms of what is meant by offensive many ideas which tend to make the society better are found to be offensive by the masses now the problem is that while some may only wish to censor those offensive ideas whether in the form of blasphemous cartoons or simple statements there are, are a group of fanatics who are willing to put to death those accused of profanity the number of people who tend to openly suggest death penalty for such offenses tend to be a very significant majority in the eastern hemisphere unlike the west where they are an insignificant minority now given that the idea of offensive speech is very subjective to say the least how can we objectively make claims to ban such offensive speeches you may find something offensive but maybe i just find it funny the idea or the extreme to which people are willing to commit themselves to censor ideas or publications which they find offensive is epitomized by Ayatollah Khomeini's fatwa on Salman Rushdie for writing a piece of fiction one third of the global population did erupt into calls for canceling the satanic verses and Ayatollah Khomeini himself called for the death of Salman Rushdie now you might think that writing a fiction which people may find insulting doesn't really have any net positive impact on society to this i would assert that it does it establishes that there is no historical figure or text or belief that is to be considered too sacred to scrutinize or ridicule it also establishes that there is no authority which determines what people can write or not write draw or not draw daring to laugh at authority is the very first step towards human emancipation given that you establish that there are certain ideas which are too holy to scrutinize then you automatically demand censorship for criticism of those ideas which again causes a complete jeopardy in the shelf of ideas because there exists a censorship which prevents individuals from choosing the better idea now back when i wrote this the prime minister of pakistan imran khan who not only is just an idiot but is also incompetent has called the muslim majority countries in the world for pressurizing the west to criminalize blasphemy against islam under the pretext that it offends people under such blasphemy laws you probably would have to go to jail for insulting a faith or belief system i think freedom to criticize religion comes from the fact that no religion has proven their claim about the existence of any god or spirits those who wish to ban blasphemy presuppose the god and its offended character assuming it's true but truth is not assumed truth is proven by the way 
Pakistan police uh, some time ago happened to have filed a blasphemy case against feminists who apparently had insulted Islam for staging demonstrations for equal rights. If you find that offensive, you have a pretty obnoxious taste in terms of gender equality. Since 1990, at least 78 people in the country have been murdered in mob violence and targeted attacks related to blasphemy accusations, according to an Al Jazeera tally. This is, by the way, is just according to Al Jazeera and I think that there are a lot more many unrecorded cases of killing due to blasphemy. Till now, I believe that I have established a few key ideas in this podcast. Given that people are exposed to all sorts of ideas, only good ideas are bound to be picked from the shelf of ideas. Thus, there can be no censorship as it hampers the efficiency in which people make moral progress. There is no objective metric of determining something to be offensive and it is based solely on subjective opinion and thus censorship based on offenses caused also act as an impediment to societal progress, just like the case I previously mentioned. Thus, it can be inferred that censorship is harmful. In certain instances, it becomes an utmost necessity to criticize faith and it becomes more than a moral duty. Just for an example, just because a religion gives mothers threefold more respect than fathers or claims that paradise lies under your mother's feet or just because another faith has one of its most powerful goddesses to be a woman does not entail that discriminations based on gender and sex do not exist in those religions. Something we have to understand is that in certain countries, in certain theocracies in fact, where they have those belief systems as the constitution, women have half the testimony of men in court which is blatantly misogynistic and if one is not willing to fight for the fundamental rights of women in that case i think that one should not expect gender equality in every other case right so when faith becomes a political instrument or a tool for discrimination it becomes as i said more than a necessity or moral duty to criticize it now an important question which i reserved for the very end is doesn't criticism of ideas or beliefs which people hold entail that you are being bigoted against individuals with those beliefs? The answer is a sharp no. It is to be understood that criticism of ideas does not necessarily mean that you deprive individuals with those ideas of their civic liberty based on prejudices which is what exactly bigotry is. Or criticizing those ideas does not entail that you actively take positions which positively harm those groups of people. I think I'm very open about my criticism of faith, but most of my loved ones, family and friends are religious people. So you can criticize faith itself, but you are not allowed to hold grudges against people who hold those ideas because then you become the very thing you swore to destroy. The principle is to love all people, but hate bad ideas. Thank you so very much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Slow Tycoon Podcast. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you so very much for joining.